All right, everybody, welcome to B.O. Boys for Thursday, September 1st. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Clayton, last week, blockbuster episode for our weekend preview. We had Matt Bellany of Puck News of the town. People are raving that we got such a huge star on the show. And we had to keep that momentum going because we got another giant star on today's show. We we're going to cut into this interview. We talked to our pal, the legend, the icon, Scott Mendelson of Forbes was on and Clayton, how great was talking to Scott? Oh, I mean, he's always great. And, but I do think that this appearance is, is, is just really spectacular. I mean, he really nailed a lot of what we were thinking about this past summer. We look ahead and talk about what's coming out and the dearth of product. We also get a little glimpse into how he does his market research. And it's a way yes. that you wouldn't expect. But it's, yeah. it's brilliant, as only Mendelssohn can be. Yeah, and he rattles off some uh, Warcraft numbers from however many years ago that movie came out, and it just shows why he is who he is and yes. why he's always that mountaintop that we continue to climb towards. Yes. So here you go. Here's our interview with Scott Mendelson of Forbes. So we're here with the legend, the icon, Forbes box office maven Scott Mendelson is here. Thanks for joining us on the BO Boy, Scott. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me again. Um, so this is our usual weekend preview episode, but there is, of course, not much of a weekend to preview. But I'll just throw this out real quick to get us started. Is Top Gun Maverick going to be at the top of the box office for the weekend of Friday, September 2nd? I predicted... You know, not to pat myself on the back, which I'm doing right now. I predicted on Twitter sometime early in the summer that Top Gun Maverick would get to number one again. And I did predict the Labor Day weekend or the weekend after were my target. So, Scott, am I correct? Is is it going to uh, do it? I would say a hesitant yes. I mean, I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to do that much better than Rogue One did last year. Uh, was it last weekend? Yeah, last weekend. Mm -hmm. Or any better than, you know, E.T. the Extraterrestrial did the week before, a couple weeks before that. Um, so it's just a matter of does Top Gun get enough of a bump to make more than whatever bullet train secret or DC League of Super Pets makes yeah, in their a lot. You know, respective weekends? And I would say yes. And again, wow. it's going to be close. It's going to be, you know, whatever. And, you know, it's more fun trivia than anything of consequence. But it is, unfortunately, a rather ironic ending to a summer that was defined by far too few movies and theaters. Yeah. I mean, what is your what is your big takeaway of the summer? You know, we, we had Matt Bellany of The Town on last weekend. And, and a thing that struck all of us is it started so well. You know, it just it was such a beautiful start this summer for the most part, other than light year, that walking corpse light year, everything that was supposed to hit was hitting at or way above expectations. And now we're in a situation where it looks like the box office is a disaster. How did we get here? And 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 what is your what is your sort of overall outlook on summer twenty twenty two? For a variety of reasons, some more good faith than others. Uh, movie theaters are currently being starved to death by distributors. Um, I understand that there are 
post-production delays in relation to a bottleneck due to COVID. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's better for Black Adam to be sent from July to October and then from Salem's Lot to from September to whenever. And Push and Boots and the Last Wish opening in uh, December instead of September and so forth and so forth versus, you know, pardon the expression, pixel fucking the post-production people mm-hmm. to hit a deadline. And that that's a net positive in the broad scheme of things. But because of that, you have a com- almost complete lack of major movies between Bullet Train and early August. And depending on what hits, either The Woman King and Don't Worry Darling and Avatar at the end of September, or Halloween Ends and uh, Black Adam in mid-October. And... There's also, you know, general skittishness in terms of a certain streaming over theaters mentality that even if Wall Street has finally come to its senses, and hopefully the studios have too, that's not a light switch you can flick on and on and mm-hmm. off at an instant, just because, you know, conventional wisdom has been disproven, shocker. Um, it's going to take a while for people to get back to the swing of things. And that's why without giving him too much credit, because I don't agree with every decision he's made. But, I mean, David Zaslav comes into Warner Brothers Discovery with, you know, and, and, and marching orders to cut costs or what have you. And he chooses to believe that, you know, HBO Max, while valuable and worthwhile, isn't going to be the answer to everybody's problems. So you have, we're about to have a surprise cameo appearance. No? Okay, there's a cat right, right here. <laughs> um, not usually the one that comes up to me. That's surprising. Um, anyway. He heard you talking about David Zasloff, and he had to, you know, he has to chime in. It's the it's the well, hot topic in town, even for the kids. Well, it, it's such an extreme 180 because it is such an extreme change from Jason Killer spending two years going HBO Max, HBO Max, HBO Max. And, you know, you want to talk about the biggest problem with DC films is they can't go more than a couple of years without a massive executive change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with those executive changes often come very different marching orders. Mm-hmm. And films like Batgirl and The Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman 84 get caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. so much that, oh, DC can't get its act together, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm of the opinion that what Walter Amato was doing was pretty successful up until COVID when everything got kneecapped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Aquaman was a smash. Joker was a smash. Uh, Shazam was a small scale hit with great reviews. Birds of Prey was a disappointment, but with good reviews. And in a non-COVID world, Wonder Woman '84 would have been a hit. The Batman would have been a hit right on schedule in uh, June 2021. And I still think the Suicide Squad was, you know, spending that much money on an R-rated Suicide Squad was a bad idea. But you know, it could have been, you know. You know, taking it for the team, for the love of the game, blah, blah, blah. We right, do what right. Marvel can't. Right. And Marvel isn't going to, you know, can't do an R-rated $180 million Suicide Squad movie, even if James Gunn is the one directing. I mean, I, listen, the B.O. boys are always for making a movie, not a TV show. But Suicide Squad's one of those situations where the Peacemaker TV show, that was the way to go. More so than yeah. the giant budget But Suicide the question Squad is, movie. and this gets back to theatrical over-streaming, mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that even though the Suicide Squad was not a commercial success, circumstances notwithstanding, that Peacemaker, the show, wouldn't have been nearly as popular Mm -hmm. on an HBO Max curve had it not been set up by the Suicide Squad. Right. Right. So it basically took one for the team. Right. Just like in its own skewed way, Black Widow took one for the team so Hawkeye could open on schedule. Right. Right. You know, I've joked it's the second time that, you know, Black Widow's been thrown off a cliff so Hawkeye could live. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
I am way off topic. So God, please bring me back. So, well, just pulling back the summer. Here's something. Did this summer teach us that the oldsters are back going to the movie theaters? You know, Mavericks, Elvis, Crawdads. These Crawdads have sung to 80 million. Tell us, Scott, about the the, the oldsters audience. Well, I think what the summer should have proved is what, frankly, I and others have been saying since May of 2021 when A Quiet Place 2 opened with $57 million, which is that the films that were going to be successful in pre-COVID times uh, were mostly pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are mm-hmm. a couple exceptions here and there. I, I think had Death on the Nile opened in normal circumstances, it would have done better. But there was also several films I would say did better opening amid COVID you know, circumstances than they would have as just another tentpole in a crowded slate. Uh, Godzilla v. Kong, Dune, Free Guy, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously I underestimated Top Gun Maverick, fine, whatever. But that film would not have been as big of a hit had it just opened as one of many in the summer of 2020. For one yes. thing, its message of only Tom Cruise could save Hollywood wouldn't have been nearly as uh, as poignant and and you know what the world needed to hear as it was in summer 2022. Yeah, it seems like weirdly that timing for that film really did just sync up perfectly. Yeah, the release date, all those different holidays that it hit, the fact that it could ha- it had that dominance, like you said, it culturally dominated the way it wouldn't before. I mean, it was just a fairy tale story for that movie. It really was. I mean, it's it's it's. And that's been the frustrating thing about the lack of movies this summer is that, as you mentioned, the movies that were supposed to do well did well. Everything mm-hmm. performed up to par, if not better, except for maybe Lightyear. And the only, But the only reason we're not looking at a catastrophic summer theatrical decline in overall box office is because Top Gun's so aggressively overperformed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically the difference between a, bo- a overall total box office down 25% from 2019 versus down 45% from 2019 because of one movie that yeah. played like a James Cameron flick. Um, and, you know, Jurassic World did fine. Did 375 domestic, 990 worldwide. Um, did less, a little bit less than expected in China, 160. But that's still very good for post-COVID in terms of uh, Chinese films playing over, overseas. Excuse me, the exact opposite of what I just said. Hollywood movies playing in China. Um, and that's that's something that we've seen for the last couple of years is that the shoe is now on the other foot. Mm-hmm. Where China has to prove to Hollywood that it still has the commercial muscle to justify being listened to. Mm-hmm. In terms of, or you know, playing films in China, making censorship, you know, artistic decisions based on China, Chinese governmental social norms, not the Chinese people. I mean, that's an right, entirely right. different ballgame. I would say one reason, you know, one obvious reason that Mulan flopped in China is because it was so, you know, respectful and upper crust and and honorable that it was basically like trying to spend so much time impressing the girlfriend's parents that the girl gets bored. <laughs> So, um, so do, do you think that that is registered now where, you know, because it takes a while for the lessons to catch up with the production cycle, but that we're going to see movies being produced without that eye on having to make a lot of money in China overseas, and that's going to affect what gets produced? Because like you said, we I had a decade so, of movies where- because- the whole Hollywood needs China thing was always a myth. 
It was mm-hmm. always a myth. And what I mean by that is that the vast majority of films that did very well in Hollywood films that did very well in China were the same films that did very well in North America and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. All it really did was artificially inflate the global grosses of already successful films. Mm-hmm. And since most studios were most cases, you were only getting 25% of the ticket sale compared to over under 50% everywhere else, it was it was pageantry. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood convinced itself that because they like trans because Chinese audiences generally speaking, they liked Transformers, they liked Avatar, they liked Avengers Age of Ultron, that they would suck down any old Hollywood sloppy through at them. Right, right. And we've seen again and again and again from the very beginning that that wasn't true. Terminator Genosis made $113 million in China. Oh my goodness, it's a hit now. Let's make a sixth one. Yeah, but it did that from a $26 million opening day. They came, they put their thumb down, they left. Same thing with the Warcraft. That film did $220 million in China in the summer of 2016. But it did that from a $90 million Wednesday, Thursday gross and $156 million Wednesday, Sunday uh, opening weekend. It was their Batman v Superman. Everybody showed up because they were interested in the IP. They realized this isn't good. And they said, bye-bye, don't go see this. Right. Um, and, and just to verify to the audience, Scott Mendelson just rattled off all those numbers, not off of cue cards, not off of anything in front of him, but he just has those Warcraft overseas numbers in his brain at all times. So that that is why. have to, because that still gets used as an example of, oh, you know, Chinese people are dumb. They have bad taste. They'll show up for any garbage that Hollywood throws them. Because look at Warcraft. It's like, Warcraft right. kind of bombed there, too. Right, right. I mean, it was more front-loaded in China than it was in North America. The box office bears it out. People all over the world are more discerning than we give them credit and, for. Yeah, I mean, I think especially as China has gotten more and more of its own box, its own specific temples, that's been something that we've seen since 2015, 2014, if you count, you know, Gone with the Bullets, which I remember seeing that in late 2014 in IMAX 3D. I called it a favor. I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a problem because China can do this now. <laughs> and every year since then, we've seen one or two or three massively successful Chinese movies that make like 10 bucks outside of China, but who cares? So so with that in mind, and with some of the successes we've seen the last few months of what you would call traditional star-driven vehicles, your Elvis, you know, Tom Hanks had a big hit, Tom Cruise had a big hit with Maverick. I would say that Bullet Train is performing as well as you would expect a Brad Pitt. You know, it's a movie that's basically just sold on Brad Pitt's going to do an action comedy. There's really no other hook there. Of course, there's the Lost City, Dog, you know, these Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum vehicles. Where do you see as the state of star box office, the future of star box office? You know, we'll never get the 90s again. You know, we're never going to get conspiracy theory, Pelican Brief, The Firm level movies all the time. But what is the state of star box office, star box office vehicles in the theater? I think with a couple exceptions, Leonardo DiCaprio, Sandra Bullock, and offhand Denzel Washington and Gerard Butler in low-budget action movies, most modern stardom is in line with marquee characters. And for a while... One of the changes that we've seen is that audiences will still show up to a movie if it's about a marquee character that they want to see a movie about. It's not even IP or franchise, because if they don't mm-hmm. care about the character, they're not going to show up. That's one difference between Hunger Games and, you know, The Giver or, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
you know, the Twilight Saga and Beautiful Creatures. I love Beautiful Creatures, but it was a flop nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- what's a marquee character? Obviously, it's a, a Marvel DC superhero, you know, Deadpool, Venom, Black Panther, Joker, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's why if you have an interesting actor playing a marquee character, that's money. Tom mm-hmm. Hardy can't open an, open an envelope in a star vehicle, but you cast him as, as Venom, who's also sort of a, a variation on Tom Hardy's on-screen Austin persona is just a kind of a lunatic, mm-hmm, in a, but a, mm-hmm. a nice lunatic. Mm-hmm. And that is star plus character plus concept value. Um, that Venom did $854 million in 2018 doesn't mean that you know the drop is now going to be a hit or that this means war is now bankable. Right, Same thing right. with Joaquin Phoenix. You know, you cast him as the Joker, you know, the ult- the ultimate, you know, weirdo method actor as the Joker. And that's that's valuable. Right, right. Um, but is Colonel Tom Parker? Is it is it that Tom one's Parker? Interesting. Because one before is, COVID is, is he IP? Um Elvis is IP. Elvis mm. is a marquee character. Uh music stars are marquee characters. Uh something we saw right before COVID. Um, is that live action musicals centered on marquee characters, and that also includes musically inclined biopics, were safe. You know, mm-hmm. everything from La La Land, The Greatest Showman, to Mamma Mia, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Straight Out of Compton, um, A Star is Born, which basically stars Lady Gaga as a fictionalized version of herself. Um, those were all huge hits. And I think Elvis just fits in that slot mm-hmm. and now that the market's recovered enough and the older audiences are safe feel more comfortable coming back that's a film that, you know did 270 worldwide that's the second biggest musical biopic behind bohemian rhapsody mm-hmm. um as far as tom hanks do i think that having tom hanks as you know a real life villain was an added value element yes i do generally speaking tom hanks is the biggest the biggest is most commercial when he's playing a real life hero you know, Sully. Um, uh, God, I'm having a complete brain fart. Oh, uh, well, uh, Colonel, what's the ship? Oh, yeah, Captain Phillips. Captain Phillips. Yeah, Captain Phillips and Sully. Sure, and, sure. And, the you know, Fed. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bridge Saving of Spies, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, I swear I wrote about this in 2016. <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, him sort of the inverse of that image as one of history's greatest scoundrels had a certain appeal. Right. Um, yeah. His first villain part that finally hit, because remember, he did do the Lady Killers and, yeah. and pretty much, I think, got scared off of being villains. Well, well and that it, Dave Edgar's movie. But yeah, he, he was a villain in The Circle, I think, as well, yeah. right? But, yeah. but no one and, goes to see the Tom Hanks, Dave Edgar's adaptations. No matter but how even much The Roads of Perdition, he was kind of an anti-hero. He was right, right. Yes. a bad guy. I mean, he was a hitman who killed a lot of people, but he wasn't a villain. This is really the, because even the lady killers is kind of a lovable rogue. Right. Right. You know, you know, he's trying to do bad things, but you know, he fails. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's interesting about Elvis is the first time he's played a genuinely loathsome character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even in the circles like, Oh no, you want to use Facebook to make everyone register to vote. Why is that bad again? <laughs> huh. So that's the plot of that movie. Finally, Among other things. the public knows. Yeah. Um, is Austin Butler going to become a box office draw coming no, off of Elvis? I don't think so. I mean, he's obviously an interesting actor, and I think his decade plus that he spent doing Nickelodeon and Disney Channel heartthrob shows and movies 
also made him of some value to the generation of young women who grew mm-hmm. up watching him romance Ashley Tisdale, Selena Gomez, and everyone else mm-hmm. on the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. Um, I mean, you, you look at his on-screen track record, and if you're of a certain age, you'll be very jealous. Um, but and that sort of played into you know now he's a real life heartthrob who's an adult yep. who's you know sexy as fuck if I may. Oh, um, may of course. Yeah. Listen, and I hundred and forty million dollars domestic at this point. I mean, absolutely one hundred and forty-five more than The Great Gatsby. That box um, office is sexy as fuck. I also think that that film benefited by having its trailer play in front of Top Gun Maverick. Yes. Yeah, you know, in the proverbial olden days, one of the best way, best marketing tools was having a good trailer playing in front of a blockbuster with similar demographics. You know, the first teaser to Deep Impact played in front of every single showing of Titanic. Um, mm. The DMV teaser for Zootopia played in front of every showing of Star Wars: Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, Split breaking huge a month before, a month and a half before Get Out was a was a huge boon to Get Out. Mm -hmm. because that was you know it's one and only fantastic trailer um and if don't worry darling does well next month and i think it will i think the behind the scenes gossip is just that nobody cares no one that wants to see that movie is going to decide not to because maybe olivia wilde was slightly dishonest about why she allegedly can shia labeouf Right, right. I mean, right. it's it makes for great clicky content, but nobody cares. Twitter is yeah, ticks, as we say all the time on the Bo Boys. And, exactly, and, yeah. exactly. It, 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 it. Um, but anyway, if that film you know uh, breaks out, partially will be because because most showings of where the crawdads sing, which played to women and you know men too who like female centric melodrama, they all saw the trailer in front of that film, which made 101 million worldwide, 81 domestic off a 24 budget. That was the only movie this summer aimed at adult women or slightly older girls. And that's pathetic. That's embarrassing. Well, and Mac and Rita. Let's not forget Mac and Rita. (laughs) I've already forgotten Mac and Rita. Um, In terms of a somewhat wide, big deal release. Right. um, And there's a number of reasons for that. Part of it, unfortunately, a lot of films fronted by women and or non-white protagonists ended up in the streaming fodder. You know, turned into streaming cannon fodder. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, studios held back their, you know, even the Marvel stuff. What came out last year? Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Black Widow. What got saved to healthier times? Doctor Strange and uh, Thor 4. Right. Um, you know, this may not be fair, but it's not a coincidence. Even, you know, that's why the you know, light year was so, you know, frustrating. Because they use their inclusive, non, you know, original, interesting films as Disney Plus, you know, cannon fodder. Then they threw out generic solo part, you know, solo version 2.0 into theaters. Yeah. And it bombed for reasons that it was always going to bomb. And now, is you know, is not, that not only terrible for Pixar, but it's threatening the possibility of the next original inclusive Pixar film getting a theatrical release. Excuse me, a right. theatrical release. That, I think, is the most tragic thing about Lightyear, is that that should have been a slam doink sort of, here's the big one for everyone, we're getting big box office, and see, we can do it, now give us our creativity, we can do, let us do the smaller ones, we'll give you the big ones once in a while, and the fact that this tanked means that Pixar might not have that leeway, like you said, to do those smaller, more intimate, creative ones. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's cruel. It's just like how, you know, Force Awakens was a huge smash. Last Jedi was a huge smash. And then Solo, you know, the super generic, you know, big budget tentpole starring a generic white guy and his feisty love interest and his black sidekick bombed. 
ironically, because of overseas disinterest, again, you're rebutting conventional wisdom, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy's empire is in peril, and right, all of a right. sudden, Star Wars is doomed because the white guy one flopped. Right, right. And now, the, and now it's a streaming show. Somehow, yeah, now it's Star a Wars is not show. a movie series. You mentioned Don't Worry Darling. I agree that the Twitter controversy probably won't matter for the box office. But do you think that movie has an audience as a horror-type film? Because it's got a trailer that plays sort of in the middle. And along those lines, how come Warner Brothers didn't move it up when they moved Salem's Lot out of to be in the festival so they yeah, didn't want I, to position it as early september warner brothers big horror i don't want to speak they, out of turn because i'm going off memory but i mm-hmm. think part of the deal was that olivia wilde wanted a splashy festival debut right 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 and at the time that made sense because salem's lot was coming out two weeks earlier right right and that that that's fine um but yes it better be good because otherwise if it's garbage and it gets bad reviews at the festivals then yeah you should have opened it on may september 9th when you moved salem's lot out of dodge right Um, what are you what are you hearing about speaking of that early september horror slot that you know warner brothers kind of staked out with the it movies with the nun and and things like that barbarian which is what a box is it? I'm hearing good buzz on it. Could it's you good. see that breaking out? Not to obviously not it level, but like yeah, is this yeah, a movie yeah. that I can mean, make fifteen million dollars opening weekend? Any shot? It of can, but like it would that. be it would be a happy surprise. Okay. At this point, I think all parties would be happy with ten million. Okay. Um, because at the end of the day, there's still a review embargo, so like no one's there's no real reviews. I mean, right, I, right. I mean, I get it. You know, I think they are expecting the reviews to be mostly positive and they mm-hmm. want that last 72 hours before takeoff. Right, right. And that's, right. you know, that's why I'm not among those that always thinks that a later embargo is always a sign of trouble. You know, it can mm-hmm. go both ways. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a movie that you know kicks butt, you don't want excitement to peak, you know, two weeks beforehand. Right. But right, also right. Barbarian has, I mean, I haven't seen, obviously you have, they sort are, they sort of are teasing a sort of twist that there's going to be reveals that you don't want to give up. And I think that's a reason for an embargo as well sometimes, right? Is that here's some twists that we don't want to get out there until the very last minute. Um. Yeah. I mean, it, it's frustrating because, you know, I've seen the film and I would say, I wouldn't say so much that there's lots of twists. It's just stuff that they're choosing not to market. Right. And that's right. fine. That's that's their prerogative. I do think one of the, for better or worse, one of the changes we've seen as online spoiler phobia has, has crossed over into falsely, I would argue, into mainstream concerns, I regular people don't care, um, is that anything that like First of all, anything that isn't explicitly released by the studio is considered a spoiler, even if it's something completely harmless. You know, I'm sorry that the Variety reporter told you Harry Styles was the post-credit cookie of Eternals. Had he, having seen the Eternal, you know, Eternals at that same screening, that cameo had no bearing on the movie whatsoever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was like the least spoilery spoiler you could offer. Right. Um, but that being said, I think we're in a weird position where. <sighs> Even films like Jurassic World Dominion are basically you know, sold with a mystery box. Right, right. And films like No Time to Die are sold as a mystery box. It's right. like general audiences don't care about this, and they might want to know what the film's about. Right, well, that's the right. thing. General audiences tend to want to know exactly what they're in for, right? Yes. Because they're not the people who go to films to be surprised. They go to get what they want from it. 
And I think that's so true. The online nature of things has really permeated the marketing. And that, I think, is negative. Um, and obviously, you know, Jurassic World was a huge hit. No Time to Die was a huge hit. So, you know, it, it doesn't always have a negative impact. But I do think something like, for example, Tomorrowland, which was sold as this giant mystery box picture. And when the reviews came out, it was like, there, there, there are no surprises here. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know, if you do think you know what the movie's about, you're right. Yeah, right. that's a great tagline for a film. Um, and so that's not use that. fair to the picture. Or something like, you know, Scar Trek Into Darkness, where you could have sold that Canada Cumberbatch was Khan because mm-hmm. everybody knew and that could have been a hook. Why are you using Khan anyway if you're not trying to entice audiences? And you could have used any number of the, you know, unspoiled you know, second half reveals as, you know, stuff that isn't in the marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, Peter Weller being the bad guy, you know, that right. could have been your twist and that, that wasn't given away in the previews. Right. And I think something that Disney has done well from time to time is they've used certain plot twists in the marketing to take attention off another plot twist. The obvious mm-hmm. example being Iron Man 3. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have given away Gwyneth Paltrow in the Iron Man suit in the previews. And then when you go to see the movie, it's like, oh, shit, the Mandarin is just an actor. That's amazing. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, now speaking of marketing, I want to get your take on something. Uh, the Crunchyroll films, these these movies that are getting released, the most recent one, Dragon Ball Super, Superhero, that had a big, splashy opening weekend, $20 million, then dropped 78%. This seems to be the way it goes, very heavily front-loaded, but also marketed very online. I mean, Adult Swim, obviously, those sort of commercials during that, but that's a very online audience that watches Adult Swim. And then mostly, trailers online is what brought the consumers out. But here's the problem, is that it brings out a certain amount of people in the first weekend, and then no casuals. Well, yeah. How, is there is there a possible way? Do you think anime has a future in the market as a mass mass popular sort of genre, or is it going to stay niche for the time being? I think to a certain extent, by default, as the kids who grow up on anime become adults, and thus the it becomes more mainstream. I think it'll expand a little bit beyond the you know beyond the niche. Um, but as long as everybody knows what they're getting into, I don't think there's any obje- you know, problem with a movie like Demon Slayer or a Dragon Ball Z Super Superhero or whatever the hell they're called, you know, making, you know, 50% of their money on opening weekend, as long as everybody knows what they're in for. Um, you know, it wasn't because people didn't like the movie. It's just because that's where the, you know, the audience all showed up. And I do think we've seen an interesting trend over the last two years of these niche films like RRR, uh, Demon Slayer, uh, Christmas with the Chosen. Um, yes. That were super niche and played to audiences that absolutely show up come hell or high water. And because there was so little else out there that was succeeding even at a normal level, that those films were by default you know, at the near the top of the rankings for a, a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, even when general audiences don't show up, you know, the faith based do to a certain extent, um, or even when general audiences don't show up, the anime fans do to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we need those, especially the, the dearth of big studio releases. We need these number patterns to come out every yes. once in a while to just have a big opening weekend. Even if they fall off the face of the earth weekend two, that Dragon Ball Super Superhero 20 million was 
you know, manna from heaven for that yeah. one weekend. So looking ahead these next few months, I mean, you look at this schedule even through the end of the year, and and I I count only three slam doinks, you know, giant hits. You got your Wakanda Forever, you got Black Adam, you got Avatar. To a lesser extent, you got Halloween Ends, which may end up crossing 100 million domestic if if it's really good and people really care about the end of the trilogy. Past those four, three slam doinks and a Halloween movie, do we even have anything else that you would predict to make 100 million domestic? I guess there's a Puss in Boots movie in December, right? Yes, so, Puss in so Boots that is still too. in December. But, you know, are we counting on Don't Worry Darling to make 100? Or, like, what else is out there? Am I missing... You know, girl in the wind, a lady girl in the train did 75 in 2016. A simple right. favor did 53 in 2018. And either of those would be terrific for Don't Worry Darling in a normal right. environment. Um, you know, the film cost, I think, 20, 30, give or take COVID expenses. Um, the other thing is Walt Disney's Strange World. They have a new original animated film opening on Thanksgiving weekend. Is it going to stay in theaters? God, I hope so. Are they going to go overboard in selling it so they can finally prove that they can actually make a theatrical hit again? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there is value in overspending so that the film grosses something comparable to pre-COVID expectations. Because, um, I mean, if you keep having the situations where, you know, Disney animated films make less than, you know, the bad guys. Right. Or, you know, Sing 2, that's humiliating. Yep. And that I- is... I mean, a big part of Disney's hook in pop culture is that they are the top of the mountain. Yes. And if they're no longer the top of the mountain, then what the hell are they? If Bob Chapik overspends for that film, is that going to seem like an F you to Pixar? Is Pixar going to take that personally, do you think? They might, but I think if you want to have a future in theatrical that isn't just Marvel movies and periodic Avatar slash Lucasfilm, you got to do it anyway. Because at least there'll be the implicit promise that, you know, we're not going to F around with the next Pixar movie. Well, I mean, just staying on Disney, you know, we have it for uh, another minute or two, but staying on Disney, looking at some of the things they have going straight to Disney Plus for the rest of this year that just boggle the mind that they're not theatrical. You have finally a Hocus Pocus sequel, which, you know... There's a generations of audience for that. It's one of those movies that cleaned up in October 2020, you know, as a re-release and way more than other movies. But even more than that, release of that season. Yes. And it's disenchanted. And it <laughs> I, listen, it doesn't matter. People have convinced themselves that they love Hocus Pocus. Yeah. But there is an enchanted sequel starring Amy Adams. You know, this is not an enchanted sequel where they got you know, Dan Castellana. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a 25 year old inside joke. Sorry. They, they, they got AB Adams for an enchanted sequel and it's going straight to Disney plus. I mean, give us your take on how is this far into post pandemic box office. Disney is not putting enchanted out in 4,000 theaters on Thanksgiving weekend or Christmas it day. Because up to a point, and maybe things have changed, I don't know. Up to a point, I believe that Bob Chapek does not care about movie theaters, did not care about movie theaters. And if it was up to him, the entire industry would go belly up and everything would be on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anything that helps theaters, especially if it theoretically comes at the expense of Disney+, Plus, is a no-go. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only the only reason that they're not effing around with the Marvel weren't messing around with the Marvel release windows is because they didn't want Kevin Feige to leave. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And it, it, you know that it, was the thing with the Pixar movies is that you know I, I am certainly sympathetic to those those who thought that you know Pixar was getting a raw deal, but in their mind because Disney Plus was the priority, and Pixar was their A plus brand, they could get slightly you know older adults and you know cool kids or whatever that weren't just watching Marvel and Star Wars. By default, Pixar was more valuable to Disney Plus than it was in theaters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, yeah. in their mind. Now, my counter argument to that is that look, we have two years of evidence suggesting that films that do well on theaters do as well, if not better, on streaming than films that just go straight to streaming. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. frankly why HBO Max got the giant, you know, hook that it got a couple months ago. Right. Um, because you know, Zaslav, for better or worse, said, "Hey, you know." If movies like Batman make a gajillion bucks in theaters, they're also going to do really well in streaming. But right. streaming only movies are not going to do very well. Right. And other than Netflix, we know that. Right. And Batgirl would have come and gone mm-hmm. on HBO Max. It would have had three days of in the consciousness Twitter, you know, yes. tweeting, and that would have been it. Um, anything as we look ahead the next few months that you want to put on our radar in terms of either one of these big movies that you think may underperform one of these, you know, is there anything that you could see way overperforming? You know, there's a David O. Russell star studded movie, Amsterdam, you know, anything like that where, where, I mean, there's a hundred million dollar earner record Mm -hmm. with getting adults to the theaters to be glitzy and glamorous star driven studio programmers. That being said, unless I'm forgetting one, his last big one was nine years ago in a very different time. He well in between. Well, I think he only had the 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 uh, selling the mop movie. Uh, what, what joy. was that movie? Joy. Oh, joy. joy. That was a which, modest which performer. Did, which did sixty million domestic yeah. and the today that'd was, be miraculous. Oh my god, a movie about someone on QVC. Yeah, but yeah, I think he had three in a row hundred million dollar earners that were yeah. just adult dramas. You yeah, know, Fighter and Silver Linings and, Playbook. So and, yes, uh, I believe that could absolutely break out if yeah. Fox slash. 20th century slash Disney want to spend the money because you do have to market these films. I mean, it's, it's, and when I say that it's not, I'm not saying that, Oh, the marketers aren't doing their jobs or whatever. Cause one huge problem, and this was a pre COVID problem too, was that if you have audiences that don't go see non-tentpole movies in theaters, mm-hmm. they don't see trailers for non-tentpoles in theaters. Yeah. And if they don't watch conventional commercial network slash cable television, they're not going to see television spots for these non-tentpole theaters, all these non-tentpole films. So marketing those films is even harder than it might have been six, seven, eight years ago. Right, right. Um, But I I think Black Adam might slightly overperform only because it's the first, you know, four quadrant fantasy tentpole in, what, four months? Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, Which is stunning. Yeah, which is shocking. Yeah, and yeah. it will be interesting to see how you know you have basically the first Marvel DC superhero movie that I can since I don't know maybe Blade, where the the actor slash movie star is bigger than the superhero. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's got to yeah. be one before that, but I can't um, since then. I can't think of one offhand. Yeah, I mean um, Shazam would be close because Shazam is such a, a low yeah. uh, known character, but Zachary Levi is was also below not Shazam a level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think I think you're right. I I don't think it's been in a long time. 
what uh, I know you have to go. You have got you've got a lot of business to attend to, but tell uh, the, our listeners what are you writing about now? What 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 might you have coming up? What is going on over at the Scott Mendelson Forbes column? Well, there has been an interest in me doing more podcasty video vlogging or whatever, so yeah. stuff like this, but for the job, which. I'm happy to do because I, I like doing this. That's one reason I, I'm generally willing to, you know, I very rarely say no to people I know and respect wanting to be the guest on their podcast. Thank you. Um, and if I don't respect you, well, am I bored today? Yeah, I'm bored today. I'll do it anyway. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> but no, you you guys have, have created something very cool in a very short amount of time. Oh, thank um, you. Thank well, you so much, I Scott. mean, listen, Welcome to the party. Get out there on podcast. You need any any tips from the BO boys? We're here. So when the Scott Mendelson, you know, box office podcast starts, oh, we're we're the first to subscribe and any help you need, just just ring us up. Uh, I, I might be consulting people on uh, what kind of audio video equipment I should be purchasing because this is, I'm still using a twenty five dollar wired headphone and I have a whatever pod, whatever HD cameras in my computer. Uh, yeah, well, um, well, well, I think I have up. a snowball from like 15 years ago in my uh, closet over there, but I don't know if it still works. I think um, that'll be a good like stress ball to have in your hand while you talk into a different, <laughs> newer microphone. Yeah, into a sure microphone. <laughs> That's fair. I'll have yeah, to buy some yeah. sleep, buddy. Um, um, but no, uh, as far as what's coming up, you know, just covering what's going on. I mean, it's it's. I think the the relative failure of Resident Evil on Netflix is more evidence that. One of the great myths behind the streaming boom and the streaming-driven consolidation boom was that tech companies and streaming companies could develop IP better than traditional studios. And I think we're seeing ever more evidence that that was a myth, if not an outright lie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's not even a slam against the streaming companies. But I do think it's a slam against the media that propagated that myth, frankly. Right. You know, I don't think that Amazon's RoboCop, whatever they decide to do with RoboCop now that they own MGM, is going to be inherently superior to every other post, you know, every other RoboCop, which I like the first film like everyone else does. And the sequels have, you know, again, none, the none of the sequels are particularly good, but they all have interesting stuff about them. Right. And yeah. Right. The remake is interesting. I don't think it works, but it's interesting. That Canadian four part miniseries that aired in the early 2000s. That was interesting in its time. So again, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to drag on every other RoboCop. But right, right. again, I, I don't think that, oh, Amazon's doing it now, so it's going to be good. Right, uh, right. I, I, I don't think there's any evidence to support that. Well, that Lord of the that Lord of the Rings series looks like it's a too big to fail situation, according yeah, to a lot of people. Yeah, and from what I hear, but, it's very good. The yeah. only reason I'm not attending tonight's theatrical screening is because a my wife won't be back from work until later than usual, and and b my my middle son wants to watch it. So yeah. if I had known that, I wouldn't have bothered, and we're just going to watch it on Thursday night on my big screen TV like normal people. Wow, yeah. the one thing that Scott Mendelson puts above box office is family. That's and a lie, it, but in this case, they <laughs> intertwine. Um, listen, if you put it's family a push, even it's a close to box office, then that says a lot about. Yeah, it. I mean, it's 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 useful yeah. demographic research. Yes, yeah. that's you know, what kids want to you know, be called. Like, yeah, I like Sonic the Hedgehog too. I think it's a good movie, but I think it means a lot that my son loves Sonic the Hedgehog too. Yeah. I'm a 42 year old man. You right. know, I, I, it's and that's frankly part of the reason I get grouchy about you know the generational nostalgia and all the IP. It's like 
I'm 42 years old. I was nine when the first Batman came out. I shouldn't have to pretend to still be excited about another Batman movie, mm, yeah. especially one that's rip, riffing on the same 1985 to 2000 comic era as all the other ones are. Right. We should be getting genuinely excited about new IP yes. that is creative for the young people and that we also will enjoy. That's I mean, the cycle even if it's life. older, at least something like Static Shock would be newer. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't want so, another Superman movie. I want Static Shock. So, Scott, uh, you give this this as a, a one-word answer on your way out here because we definitely want to have you back on soon. And I think around Avatar time would be a fun time <laughs> to talk. Avatar, Way of Water, coming out the end of this year. Based on what you're feeling now, will it be bigger, let's say just domestically, bigger than the first Avatar? Domestically, no. Um, I think if it gets a normal release in China, it could do so bloody well in China that it could offset a lot of downturn everywhere else. Wow. All right. Well, um, that is my be- my young my middle son likes Avatar. My older daughter enjoys Avatar. My six year old is a genuine fan and keeps asking me when the sequel's coming out. Interesting. I'm I'm glad you have such a, a robust family because it's such great market research you you've created for yourself. That's funny because half you know, for for. Most of my career, my kids weren't into any real pop culture, so it was a pain mm-hmm. in the ass. Yeah, it dovetailed perfectly with the rise of your column, the age of your kids, and now um, it's it's just time yeah, My middle son's a kaiju nerd. My oldest daughter is an anime freak, uh, although she likes the really ditchy stuff. Like Dragon Ball Z is too mainstream for her. Wow, wow. that's so, incredible. I did I did take her to see Demon Slayer on opening night, and having seen none of the original show. And the joke I was making is like, you know, I'm going to do this so that I can treat you the way you always treat me when we watch movies. What's going on? What's going to happen? Uh, Who is this person? What's going on? But it was so crowded that I couldn't do that. Um, so I sat there like, I have no idea what I'm watching. <laughs> for, the, for the first hour, I mean, you people talk about, oh, it's hard to watch a Marvel movie unless you've seen them all. Bullshit. You want hard? Go watch freaking Demon Slayer the movie without having seen the TV show. That's yeah. hard. You know what? I might give myself that test and, and <laughs> dial that up soon. Uh, Scott Mendelson, box office legend, of course. Read his column on Forbes. Get ready for a podcast that might be coming and videos. Who knows? He's getting in the tech game and it's going to be huge. And, uh, and he's a family man. So thanks for joining us on the B.O. Boys, Scott. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Bye-bye. And we're back. And thank you again, Scott Mendelson, for joining us. Can't wait to have him on again in hopefully the near future. He's, I mean, he's the man. Whether he, whether he respects us or was just bored today, it doesn't matter. No. We love Scott Mendelson. What do I care? I never care. If, if people are, that I want to talk to are talking to me just out of boredom, all right, you're talking to me, so... Yeah. What do I care? But so let's real quick, Pat, because there's not much to talk about in the way of releases. September 2nd, this weekend, it's looking pretty rough. So we're just going to talk about what's going coming out. Maybe touch really quickly on National Cinema Day, which mm-hmm. we've been getting emails about $3 movies at participating theaters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's coming out? Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul is a wide release starring... This is Michael K. What is it? Hold on. Um, this is a Regina Hall, Sterling K. Brown movie. Mm-hmm. And we also have No Way Home, Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff edition or mm-hmm. version, and a mm-hmm. Jaws re-release. Now, we talked a little bit with Mendelssohn. 
about Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version. He doesn't think it's going to do much. He doesn't think it's going to do anything more than E.T. did or this Jaws will probably do, maybe looking at one million possibly. What is your take? What is your take on this? I mean, here's my take on it is it's a shame this is happening this weekend. That And I know the movie theaters need content and all that. But to me, it's a shame that this Spider-Man No Way Home re-release is going to be hogging so many of the, the PLF, so many of the premium screens, so many of the, uh, uh, the IMAX screens. Because it would have been great if this is the would have been the weekend where Top Gun Maverick just got all of those screens. Uh-huh. And and just we had a celebrate Top Gun Maverick. It gets all of the IMAXs back, all of the premium screens. Because I think Top Gun Maverick, had that been the case, could have been the movie that makes $10, $12 million and is number one this weekend if it had all the premium screens. The fact that it's going to have to share them or give most of them up to the Spider-Man No Way Home re-release, I think that's kind of going to cost these theaters more money than they would have gotten if Maverick just had all those screens. Because Maverick is the newer movie. It's the hotter movie. People have been watching Spider-Man No Way Home uh, at home for the last six months. So there's way less of an appetite to go out and see that in the theater this weekend. Yeah, dare I say, Spider-Man No Way Home feels like old news at this point. And Maverick is still going. Maverick is still, its engines are still revving. Why not have one last run Right before, I mean, the kids are back in school, but before the hot weather stops, the fall starts, NFL starts. Mm Mm-hmm. Why not go see Maverick one last time? I mean, I'm planning yeah. to do it. It'll be my fourth time, and I'm planning to do it. And I wish I could see it on on IMAX or or even Dolby. Yeah, and, and I get the fact that this was probably the Spider-Man No Way Home more fun stuff re-release was scheduled months ago, and no one could have predicted, even though I did predict a few months ago, Maverick would be number one at the box office in early September. Most people couldn't have predicted that Maverick would still be going this strong when they scheduled the Mm Spider-Man re-release. But I do think this is going to be a net, to me, a net negative for the theaters. Because if Maverick had all those PLFs that that Spider-Man is getting, there would have been more money spent at the box office this weekend than had there been no Spider-Man this week. Listen, Spider-Man came out... December 2021. So it saying it's old news isn't an insult. It is just a much older movie than Maverick, which came out at the end of May. You know, people have seen this movie. So looking at Box Office Pro, Mm -hmm. they're saying Spider-Man No Way Home, Mm -hmm. anywhere between four to seven. The Mm -hmm. Jaws reissue, anywhere from two to four. Now in their top 10, they're calling what you called months ago and I agreed with. This seems to be lost right. in trans all the time when you tout. I totally agreed with you. I was going to say it. Uh, I just let you say it. But listen, we're not going to do sour grapes. But I agree right, with right. both you and myself and Box Office Pro. They're calling Top Gun Maverick as number one. They're saying it's going to make $5 million and Spider-Man No Way Home is going to make 4.6. So they're saying that there's a chance. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch it. And, you know, 
to whatever degree we root for things at the box office, I'm rooting for Maverick to take a number one. A, to just prove too. myself correct and and prove that you agreed with the correct thing. Um, and, and because Maverick deserves this, the, the, this was the summer of Maverick by far. Maverick was the movie this summer, and it would just be a great button on that run for Maverick to reach number one so many months after it had opened. It's a Cinderella story, like I said previously in our in our Mendelssohn interview, and it's got to have the fairy tale ending. And the fairy tale yeah. ending is number one at the end of summer, the summer that right. it owned. Right, right, right. Every you know, there's a lot of talk, and listen, we love award shows, but but there's a lot of talk of oh, Maverick Best Picture, and it absolutely should be nominated for Best Picture. And will Maverick win Best Picture? It's not going to win Best Picture. That's not the fairy tale ending for a movie like this. This is a movie about box office. And for a movie about box office, yes, the fairy tale ending is it gets to number one again. And Anything it beats Black Panther, at- $700 million. Not beating Black Panther. That's not anything part of the story. But in the sense of moving up a notch in the same weekend, it's number one on right, the all-time right. domestic. It doesn't matter what the movie is. And also right. Black Panther is probably going to pass it again when it gets re-released. But – that's Although there is, there is, there is, a, we have had uh, 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 people talk. I, I've talked to to some of our wannabe old boys, wannabe old girls, wannabe old people, people. But there was a wannabe old boy who did predict this past week, uh, uh, and I, I, I forgive me if I'm uh, calling out the wrong person, but Champser is a wannabe old boy who predicted to me that. Black Panther is not going to get a big re-release. Okay. You know, it's not that old of a movie. You know, this is not like Jaws or E.T. Or, you know, it's not that old of a movie. And we haven't heard about it yet. So so someone out there uh, who listens to the show is predicting we're not going to get that Black Panther re-release. So it, eventually we will because every movie that large gets a re-release. But if... If Top Gun Maverick does pass Black Panther, it probably will stay in that spot for a while. Yeah. Or at least that's a prediction that 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 I got. And again, forgive me if I'm quote. We have so many listeners, so many yeah. people reaching out. Forgive me if I did misquote uh, the wrong person there. But, so but that's out there. Are we both calling Maverick as number one for this weekend? Yes. Is that? I don't think we uh, need to do a top five because there's so little out there. The honk, if you love Jesus, is not going to do anything. Jaws is not going to do anything. Is honk, if you love Jesus, getting a like 3000 screen release? Like what level are, or have you seen anything as to the level of screens this is getting? Not yet. Not as of yet. Yeah. And listen, I saw the poster for this movie mm-hmm. uh, the other day in the city I like Regina Hall a lot as a comedy actress. I mean, Girls Trip, uh, you know, w- w- was a great uh, surprise summer hit a few years ago. And she's been on a lot of uh, TV shows. Of course, the scary movie movies. You yeah. know, don't forget that Regina Hall was the co-star of those movies. So she has been a comedy, uh, uh, you know, big name for a long time. But... This feels it's not getting a big marketing push from what I could see. Yeah. And yeah, I I, I agree. Even if this is on 3000 screens, it's probably going to cry macho. Mm hmm. I agree. So now real quick, because I know you have a hard out. 
Mm-hmm. National Cinema Day is Saturday yes. the 3rd, $3 movies mm. at participating theaters. Now, there's a lot in New York City. I don't know how it is in the stacks or what, how many options the Plane Billies are going to have. Very quickly, good yes. marketing idea or devaluing the product? I think that anything you do once is fine. And, and as long as you make a big deal of it, the fact that it's a day, you know, National Cinema Day, makes it clear enough that movies are not worth only $3. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think you're having a day, you're putting a little push behind it, you Google National Cinema Day, most of the big media outlets are covering it. So it feels like a special thing, and that's nice. And it's a holiday weekend. It's Labor Day weekend, rewarding the working class, you know, recording, rewarding your Joe Lunch Pails and, and your Susie Sweat Hogs and, you know, the, the, the working people. So I, I think that's fine. If, if, if we started having movie theater chains lower the prices to $3 total, then sure, you're devaluing the product, but that's not where we got here. Uh, subscri- streaming subscriptions have done more to devalue the worth of movies than National Cinema Day could ever do. You know, movies are devalued because Netflix is putting every movie, you know, these streaming services are only $9. That's Absolutely. what's devalued everything. Absolutely. I totally agree. Now, Pat, yes. where can they find us? Well, email us at the boboyspodcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. And, and, you know, even if we don't get to them on air all the time, we're reading and listening to everything that you send us. So, you know, thank you to Austin for, for a great email he sent analyzing, uh, uh, you know, analyzing his take at the box office. Of course, Danny. Danny of I Screen, You Scream for Movies. Thank you for emailing us. We're going to go through your analyzing of the box office that you just sent us. Everyone listen to I Screen, You Scream for Movies. Great podcast. If you want to be a boy, want to be a girl, want to be a person, person. you're going to love it. But email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. Nice. And I, I, Pat, I don't think there's anything left to say. No. Except until next time. We'll smell you at the box office. Nailed it. Nailed it.